Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Geek Town Radio episode 73. It's going to be a slightly different show this week because I've just spent three days down at uh, Star Wars Celebration in London and uh, I'm still away from home so uh, we're uh, still kind of recovering but um, we'll talk a bit more about uh, Celebration when we're back to our regular show next week. This week we have a couple of uh, interviews to go out. First interview is with... Christina Delan. She plays Patricia in uh, Gamora, the incredibly popular Italian drama, which is described as sort of a cross between the Sopranos and The Wire. Uh, it's been hugely popular. It runs on um, Sky Atlantic in the UK. It's actually a co-Sky production. Uh, the second season of that is coming out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD very soon. Uh, if you want more information, go and check the website. Um, so we had a chance to spend about 15 minutes talking to her. She was in Italy, I was in the UK. Uh, it wasn't exactly the best Skype line, uh, but uh, so you can sort of hear that a bit in the call. But it, it, we seem to go through okay um and as i say she's an italian actress although you wouldn't know from her accent so uh this is about uh 10 minutes there's a little 10 minute interview with her and then um got a bit more stuff coming afterwards so see you then hi christina hello so how you doing i'm good i've just come back to italy and it's uh, extremely hot Oh, it's unbelievable. But um, <laughs> apart from that, everything is, is yeah. You, yeah, you escaped. Well. You you've been in the UK for a few weeks, haven't you? I have. Well, for a week actually. For a week, okay. Um, yeah, a very busy week. Um, and then yeah, I'm back here because I've got some work lined up. So yeah, I oh, was, cool. um, I'm pretty busy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Always good. So you're you're on to talk about uh your your role in Gamora and various other things you're doing, I guess. So do you want to just, for those that haven't seen the show, do you want to just give a bit of explanation about it and who you play? Right. Um, hopefully I'm not going to spoil anything. Uh, but um, yeah, okay. So, well, if I could sum it up um, in a few words. Well, this uh, the series is about, um, obviously it's about the mafia, uh, the Gamora to be precise. Um, and um, uh, what makes it different to other series is that it is based on true facts that are now happen- are happening now. They haven't happened in the p- past, but they happen now. So you get a good um, a good description of 
what kind of world we live in. Obviously, uh, the stories are set in Naples, but they um, so 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 many of the threads of the stories um, reach places um, such as Germany or Spain or Costa Rica. So it kind of gives you an idea of uh, of, the, of the world we live in. Um, so yeah, it's all about um, these families that fight against each other, and I play. Um, a very important role uh, in one of the families. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I don't know if I could. <laughs> yeah, I should spoil anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, it's because you you joined the series at the start of season two, didn't you? So how yeah. how is that joining? Because it is uh, you know this big show. How is it joining sort of? for a second you know in the middle of a, a show which is already quite well established um it's a mix of fear and excitement because of course i was a fan of the first uh, of the first season uh, i actually auditioned for the first season it was a minor role and thank god i didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> at the time i was very upset but then you know eventually it turned out well because i got the lead in the second and you know i yeah. was i was over the moon i was so happy uh, but it was also very scared because you know you kind of you feel like this um uh, it was um, I always felt like there's a adopted child in a family that you know they all loved each other and they worked together on the first series they, they all knew each other and I was the new one yeah. uh, but uh, but thankfully they're so welcoming and so funny as well I mean I had so much fun on set and <laughs> that a lot because it kind of broke the pressure that I you know that I was feeling the first days because everyone is so good at what they do such great professionals um but yes it was um so yeah the beginning was a bit I was a bit scared and eventually it all <laughs> so uh, yeah it, the the show's been described as as a sort of Italian version of of The Wire maybe mixed a little bit with The Sopranos but The Wire is sort of the thing that that people seem to compare it to um, do you think that's a sort of fair comparison? And and have you seen The Wire? Um, I've seen I've seen The Sopranos more. Um, okay. I have seen The Wire, but just a few episodes really. Um, I think it could be a good p- comparison. But again, what makes Gamora different is that uh, these are uh, the events you see do happen nowadays. So uh, you watch Gamora and you watch. <laughs> so like having a good insight of how that world is and and that that makes it unique um so i think yeah they they are in Umbra is uh, more advanced <laughs> <laughs> just a, a more sort of general question how how did you get into acting um well it's to cut the story short um i knew i wanted to act since i was i think i was 13 but never really considered uh, it as a profession uh, i just liked it and then uh, when i was 17 i um i graduated from uh, high school um and but my dad didn't really like i i realized that i wanted to try drama and um but my dad wasn't really um didn't really agree with me he's a doctor right uh, he did this you know this this kind of profession when it was just a little sure um didn't have like a you know uh, a precise path to follow. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I was, I think I was influenced by him and decided that I wouldn't act. So went to medical school. I just did one year <laughs> of medical school. It was so, so unhappy because I wanted to act. So after one year I quit, uh, packed my luggage and, uh, 
um, and moved to London uh, on my own. And um, and I, I was, I think I was 19, 20. I was 20 when I moved. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I got into drama school. I did everything on my own, got into drama school. And then eventually, you know, one thing's after the other. Um, I began with, you know, bits and bobs, um, theatre stuff and unpaid work, you know, stuff like that. And then uh, and then I got a role in a soap opera here in Italy while I was while I was back for like a really short time. Right. A casting director wanted to see me and, you know, got into the soap opera and then eventually Gomorrah came. So, <laughs> yeah. So it kind of went really well. <laughs> yeah. That, so so you you trained for acting in London. I did. I that, did. That somewhat explains. I'm so proud and happy. <laughs> that somewhat probably explains the accent because <laughs> because your 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 English is very kind of London. You know, he's, he sort of has an English accent. I mean, you you actually probably wouldn't know you you're Italian. With with your accent, yeah. <laughs> it's, so uh, yeah, I'm uh, yes, quite surprised when I heard you come on, and it sounded very London. I thought that's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love English. By the way, it's my favorite language in the world. Oh, I good. really do love it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Um, I mean, obviously, you're you're on Gamora now. Um, you've you you've done a, other stuff in Italy. Are, are you? looking to get into more you know maybe you know bigger hollywood things or more english language stuff yeah and it's one of the reasons why i'm flying back to london more often because i want to you know set my foot back into into the country but yes definitely one dream is to um, be involved in an english speaking uh project What would you say is the most interesting experience you've had whilst you've been working? Um, on generally or on yeah, just generally, I uh, right. Let me think because I've, I've always chosen. Even when I was involved in in low budget uh, projects, I was I always chose them. Uh, after I read the story, so if I thought the story was gripping, then you know I I felt that was the kind of project I wanted to be involved with, and I think, well, of, of course, Gomorra has played an important uh, part because it was it's such a big thing. Okay, it's not just the the TV show. Gomorra uh, explains you know, a, a few years of my life when I was a kid. That meaning. That right. um, um, I didn't really get involved with it directly, but I, uh, we all know that that was, you know, that was happening. So when when I was little, those things happened, and I, I knew about them. So that was it was a strong experience for me. It was very uh, cathartic in a way because, um, you know, one one of the reasons why I probably left and, and moved to London wasn't wasn't just my love with the UK. It was also because I knew that I didn't really have here um, as a woman. Uh, I didn't have the possibility to, to freely create my own opportunities. Yeah. Um, and that was that was because of the presence of the Camorra in the territory. So this profession is a lot to me. Um, but maybe, I mean, I have to say that there has been a project, like a small project that I'm really uh, fond of. Um, and I have, you know, really good memories. I played in a short film, I played the part of the Colombian girl who had to 
mm, uh, abort a child. Um, and that right. was very, for a woman, that's strong. So that was very interesting. It was a short film. With, I did it with uh, some um, uh, uh, filmmakers who were graduating from, from I think it was, um, what school was it? It was a long time ago. Uh, it was a friendly environment. And when that happens, uh, um, you know, it makes the whole thing very, very precious. It's, a, it's you yeah. know. Those are the precious memories that you keep with you. So yeah, Yeah. think that's that. Um, What TV shows do you tend to watch? Um, Right, Uh, all sorts really. I have no time to switch on the TV. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But I really enjoyed Girls. You know the the TV show from the states. Yeah, loved that one. That was amazing. Uh, I'm the kind of person that likes uh, you know Modern Family. I've seen all seasons. I just love that comedy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, um, I've uh, yeah I've enjoyed the Sopranos as I said. So I get to watch all sorts of things. Um, I don't really have a genre that I prefer. Yeah. Um, if again, if the story is ripping, I get and I get involved. How's a cut of cards, for instance? I loved yeah. the show. Absolutely loved it. It's a really good yeah, show. I, I like all sorts. And if you could get into any TV show, I either a past, present or, or future, what would be the perfect role for you? Ooh. I really like Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> well it's coming back. <laughs> it's such a classic. Yeah, I would love to be involved in that. I just love it so much. Um, yeah, that's that. I remember. I remember it was one of those scenes that I just couldn't stop watching. Um, yeah, I just. I think I, I watched it all in one or two days. Probably, I was literally always. Um, wanting more <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a good show for for just binge watching your way through <laughs> and um, what are you doing next i'm working on a film um yeah i'm playing it's a comedy and um uh, the director is is a very famous comedian in here in Italy. Uh, his name is Alessandro Siani. I don't know if you... Name vaguely rings a bell, actually. Um, so, yeah, so I'm working on this film now, uh, starting tomorrow. And uh, what else? Uh, I have a couple of um, projects coming up. And uh, the third season as well, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah So cool. that's coming up. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Well, good luck with everything. Um, and it will be great to, to have you. you to come back on next time you've got something out. And hopefully Absolutely. we'll have a... I would love to. Hopefully I'll have a slightly better Skype connection next time as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, if we meet in person, we're so going to be like much happier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Brilliant. Well, th- thanks for coming on and talking to me. It's been great. Thanks. Thank you so much. No Thank worries. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. Cheers. So that was the interview with Christina. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, Next up, we have the audio from the Star Wars Rebels press conference, which we went to at Star Wars Celebration. They ran a press conference for Star Wars Rebels on the Sunday, which was with uh, Tiana Sinclair, Dave Filoni, who's the showrunner. Um, Tiana's the voice of uh, Sabine. And uh, Sam Whitwell, who was the uh, voice of Darth Maul on the show, and does a few other voices as well. Uh, So it was a press conference with the three of those. They talk about some of the developments for the third season, including the arrival of uh, Thrawn, who is 
a uh, classic sort of Star Wars character from the Expanded Universe who's now been brought back in again. That was one of the big announcements. Um, also talks about the changes coming to the uh, cast and various other things going on with Rebels. Rebels is a great TV show. You can get it on um, Disney XD over here. It's well worth watching. So this is about, I think, uh, 40 or 50 minutes. So this is the entire audio from the Star Wars Rebels press conference hope you enjoy this some of the questions might be a bit difficult to hear but you should be able to hear the answers all okay so hopefully you get the gist of it um hope you enjoy this we will be back next week with a normal show um once i'm back in the office and uh, things are a bit more organized so we'll talk to you then bye bye good morning morning hey. enjoying london yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so obviously the big reveal yesterday was general uh, general uh, was that an organic um, introduction into the story, or was that more fan expectation that kind of encouraged you to introduce that character into the story? Uh, it was definitely something that had been thought about a long time at Lucasfilm, uh, ever since Story Group uh, leader Kerry Hart and I were talking about Star Wars Rebels, and we were thinking of what villains could we possibly bring into that story. Uh, Thrawn was always on the list. And we were just trying to figure out what's the right moment and you know, how big a deal do we make out of that. I think the, the biggest thing is you get a character like that that everybody likes that's a really great villain. You are cautious on a weekly series to put them into a, oh, he lost again, and darn, those crazy rebels got away from me. And you, know, you can't play him that way. He's way too smart. So it's a very similar problem I have with Vader, which is if our guys are around Vader too much, Vader's just going to take them out. So I had to supply an Ahsoka Tano to neutralize a Darth Vader. Here I don't really have a lot I can supply to defend them against Thrawn. So it's, it's going to get sticky because he's a big time. I, I, we want to treat him as a big time villain uh, as much as a Darth Vader, but on the military strategic side of things. There's, a, there's always a chance. There's always, it's a great phrase in Star Wars, there's always hope. You know, and Simon Kimberg talked a little bit about it uh, recently. And I think the great thing at Lucasfilm is you're seeing a little more of the type of continuity that we've been talking about coming to surfaces. Uh, you know, the films are really setting down and in motion now. And as the series has been in uh, production, and you know, at Lucasfilm, uh, we all know each other, and I'll see John know in the hallway, and John will be like, wouldn't this be great? And I'll be like, that would be great. And so it, uh, continuity can be as simple as that, something that two people working on a production really like and think is a fun idea. It doesn't always have to be a story-shifting, character-changing thing. It can be very simple things that are, we realize, are meaningful to fans because they're meaningful to us. So. You never know. I won't promise anything, but when do I ever, right? So, <laughs> sorry. Hey, guys. Uh, Tia, I, I'm really interested. Obviously, you get so much more, uh, so much more backstory. Um, and the, the reveal that you have this deep connection into characters from the Clone Wars and everything else. When did you get that reveal? When did Dave tell you about that? And how has that changed the way that you approach Sabine 
<clears throat> well, I I feel like Dave maybe clued me into things with Z, with Sabine season three er, earlier or with more sort of forewarning than in seasons past, where it was like, hey, tomorrow when we record, this is, what, this is what's happening in Sabine's life, or this is what happened in Sabine's life in the past. But this time, I feel like we, he's talked me through more to give me a better understanding of what, what's to come, which is awesome, because there is more to come. Um, so that's exciting for me. But also getting, I, I basically feel like I have a better understanding of who Sabine is. and. Um, also, I'm just excited as a fan to get to sort of see see her experience those things and also like encounter people from her past that she, as I said yesterday, might be related to some of them. Um, and so, and I feel like, you know, with what's happening in our world now and sort of stakes are higher for everyone. I mean, Kanan can't see and Ezra is, Battle. It has this like in, internal battle between the dark side and you know light side, and so all, all these crazy and Ahsoka and Vader. Obviously, I feel like Sabine is sort of having she's being thrust into this leadership position, which I think she is happy to assume. But it's a lot. I mean, there's there's sort of pressure that she hasn't yet experienced, um, and then there's all this sort of backstory that that comes into play. So it's been exciting, but also. She, She's got a lot more going on, so there's a lot more sort of responsibility to uh, treat it with care. Yeah. And did Freddie and uh, did, did they give you a pen to hold when you got to hold the dice? <laughs> 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 People have been asking me on Twitter today about how like, did I get to hold it, or was I making my own? Uh, dark saber sounds, which the answer. Oh, Stan made my dark saber sounds. I make I make the dark saber sounds. Um, Freddie holds. Freddie holds. Freddie does like a cool thing. He like whenever he has a lightsaber in his hand, he always sort of like holds his. He does something like a tactile thing. I don't remember what I did. I think I was just sort of like steadying myself because I was like, oh my god, what is happening? I have a dark saber. Why? What do I do with it? Anyway, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> Uh, this one's from Sam. Um, how big of a role does Darth Maul have in season? And what would you say his ultimate goal is? <laughs> <laughs> That's a dangerous question. Yeah, totally dangerous question. Um, the thing about Darth Maul, um, and we've always had this this in mind, that you can't overuse him. If you overuse him, it's not special anymore. Um, and it's like Vader, to a slightly lesser degree, in that the threat gets diminished. If this guy isn't on his own, trying to figure out a bunch of stuff and trying to figure out his life and sort things, and he's focused entirely on the ghost crew and on, on converting Ezra. You know, things are going to get derailed pretty quick, but, but again, this, this is a character who has been through a lot in terms of what we've seen on screen. You know, have the stuff in Phantom Menace, obviously, and then um, in terms of Clone Wars, we were talking about this yesterday, that the, the, part of the fun of that character is that he's constantly evolving. Um, and we have to keep him constantly evolving from episode to episode and, and show new sides of him every time. You know, all the way through Clone Wars to now, there's always some sort of new element that we add every episode. And the reason for that, I think, storytelling, is that this guy, in some ways, is locked into a loop in his life and can't see beyond the loop, can't see beyond this repetitive motivation that he has. 
and that he would, you know, rise up to power and then get knocked down, then rise up to power and get knocked down. Now he's rising again, but uh, his his tactics are almost, <laughs> you know, it's it's. When we met Darth Maul, he was mad, right? He was insane in that cave. And uh, one of the definitions of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I think one of the reasons we keep him evolving personally is that he does have a different perspective on things than he had before. Um, and, uh, and he's become a little bit more individual beyond the, you know, just the single-minded weapon who wants revenge. But at the core of him, he's still as damaged and misguided as he ever was. So. Um, so everybody was pretty dazzled by the Grand Admiral Throne reveal, and I was too, admittedly. Uh, but no one's talking as much about Wedge. And uh, so, so I was going to ask about Wedge and, and uh, how you worked with that, especially with his mentions Fulcrum in Chuck Wendig's Aftermath book, uh, and we're seeing him after maybe Ahsoka maybe isn't Fulcrum anymore, so mm. can you talk about <laughs> some of these things? I don't know that Wedge likes to be talked about that much. I think that's how he, I think it's how he survives the films. You know, it's like Luke's going like down the trench. You're no good to be back there, Wedge. Sorry. So he doesn't say here. like Wedge doesn't say like, no man, I'm with you. He's like, I'm out. Like <laughs> Wedge is probably the smartest pilot in the entire saga because he knows when to ditch. Um, you didn't see him on the attack of Starkiller Base, Quite did you? literally. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in yeah. Hawaii right now. Where is Wedge in the galaxy? He did his time. So, um, no, I, Wedge is in the story as a result of the fact that we're inching ever closer to the time period of A New Hope. When you get to that time period and the rebellion is much more formative than it used to be, uh, you're going to start to see uh, those characters appear in the story and somehow intersect with the Stars Rebels characters. Initially, the Stars Rebels was about just one group of people that was against the Empire that had a loose connection to other groups of people. Sabine wasn't even sure if there were other people really fighting, or was it just Hera's kind of noble act to fight against the Empire. So we've shown, as promised, it grow bit by bit until they're starting to feel a little bit confident that they have strength. You know, that's always a danger as well because you think you have a strength and you have to be careful what comes to meet that strength. But those characters, you know, a character like Wedge, um, we all thought it would be fun to see him. You know, we couldn't use someone like Biggs because if you bring Biggs in, then you're really crossing close to the Luke Skywalker timeline. And we're very careful about, you know, saying to people where we are in relation to that. Uh, but Biggs has a fantastic mustache, and we were all obsessed with <laughs> how that would look in the animated universe. Is that you know? no? No, when that was a prime motivator to use Biggs. But actually, the truth is, you know how cloth is expensive to, yeah. to render. Mustaches are are equally as expensive, if not, not more. Not so much, Sam. But that's nice. Well, Biggs is though. <laughs> Biggs, Biggs, is, is what it would, Biggs' mustache yeah. would have broken the bank. That's a special mustache. But would he have a mustache yet? Oh yeah. my God! Oh my God. Why wouldn't he? My goodness! I mean, I think he had it since age twelve. Out of the womb, he came out with a mustache. He's That's right. Big dark lighter. It's like the greatest name ever. Come on. <laughs> Although I think there is. Can I spoil this? There's a novel coming out about the uh, origins of his mustache. <laughs> Why do you promise people things? <laughs> <laughs> 
the idea of inquisitors and their interaction with the dark side. And now it looks like one of the methods is that what you know, supply and say, how much is that going to play into this season? And I mean, because we already have a that's true. We do have a formidable villain. I, I, I think that, again, you, I look at it in terms of as I get closer to A New Hope, I can't see a lot of the things that I could have years before it in the story. When Tarkin's talking to Vader and he's saying, you know, their fire has gone out of the galaxy, referring to the Jedi, it, it feels like that ancient religion and things he's referring to uh, around the force happened a long time ago. It's one of those things too, I remember being a kid, believing that, oh wow, what Tarkin's talking about was a very long time ago. But it's, you realize as you get older that that actually happened in his lifetime, the snuffing out of the power in the galaxy. So that's one of those things you mature, you get a better sense of time. Uh, so I didn't think that you could have too many Inquisitor-like elements intersecting with our rebel story anymore because it that starts to get continuity clashy for me because Tarkin would say, oh, their fire's gone out of the galaxy, except for that other group of weirdos you hang out with, would be kind of <laughs> strange, you know? So you have to have that literally diminishing. Uh, so, and as you notice, we have a good dark side presence in the season uh, in Sam here. So we try to balance that in every season where we have a, a strong dark side of the force element and a strong kind of combat rebellion element going on because Hera is going to be able to deal with this most likely and Kanan and Ezra are going to get tasked with this more likely so uh, that's how we attack the kind of villainy in each season. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we did it in Clone Wars once, where uh, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka all got a pretty big overhaul. Uh, she aged quite dramatically as well. You know, there, instead of, you know, getting a haircut, her leku got longer, you know. So uh, it's, uh, it's just something that I like to do. I, I think it, it's nice because we're telling an ongoing story, so of course they should get older. Yeah, it does. And, you know, when I watched a series as a kid called Robotech, if you look at, you know, Rick at the beginning of Robotech and Rick at the end, he actually is a pretty different character design. I mean, it's very subtle. Um, so we decided to do more of a time kind of jump feeling, especially after the events of last season. You get this feeling that the Rebels have had a period where they're all trying to cope with that and they've actually drifted apart to some degree. And as a result of that, um, you know, Teenagers often make dramatic changes to themselves. They'll start to dress differently. They'll start to cut their hair differently, dye their hair differently. And I think you need to relate to kids that way. So if anything, I think the kids that have been growing up with Rebels will understand what Ezra's doing. They'll understand this change that got necessitated. And even Kanan, right? I mean, Kanan kind of stops shaving, evidently, and grows his hair out. The first drawing I did uh, of season three Kanan to get express to the writers what I wanted was uh, kind of a version of him as the dude from Big Lebowski. He had like a robe on and flip-flops and he was getting coffee. Like not in, no, not season four, but it's, it's the feeling of, you know, he's a bit lost 
For everything he gained Canaan in strength and clarity of who or what he might be, he couldn't, he couldn't take the agency to stop Ezra and Ahsoka from what he could see was probably a bad decision to side with this guy. And it really came back to bite him. So he has reached, as he reached one level of becoming a Jedi Knight, now he has to try to ascend to another. That, being a Jedi Knight in this time isn't enough. That's thinking like a combatant. And he has to learn kind of the higher now path of the Force, which Yoda and everybody else had to learn before him. So that's what you're seeing uh, Kanan evolve through uh, as, a, as a Jedi. Thank you. Uh, is it difficult? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Striking the balance between bringing characters back to fan service and bringing characters that service the plot. No, because we don't. I, I don't think we are fan servicing ever. I mean, it's like it's it's fantastic that everybody likes Thrawn. It's just that everybody making the show likes Thrawn too, and most of the people making the show are fans. So that's we're servicing ourselves, I guess. You know, it's it's always a big downer when you know you do stuff here. That's why I've always said, like, I know odd things. Like, you know, I I love wolves and I'm very careful. I put them in the story, but they're not like it's not suddenly like Star Wars wolves, you know, because that would be self-serving in a terrible Sith way. So, but the fans, by the time the fans react to something, in all honesty, it's so impossible for us to put it into production. Like, we've, we've already executed this season. Like, this is, we've written it, it's happening, it's in animation, it's in lighting dailies every day. So if there was something about Thrawn that people didn't like, well, be like, oh, we've got a long road to hoe now. You know, like, it's just, I can't, it's not the way our production works. So we just try to hope that because we're all big fans who grew up with this, that people like it the same way. And, and I don't expect it to be universally liked either. I've learned that over Clone Wars, you know, and it's and I can't allow it to move me in any way because I'm trying to tell a story uh, and be truthful to that story primarily. So sometimes I have to ask people to be shocked by something that they might not like and then come around to the understanding of why we did it that way. And I've seen that as well, and Ahsoka is one of those. Nobody understood what we were doing by having this young girl be a Padawan to Anakin Skywalker in the beginning. A lot of people were like, wait, what is this? And some people were like, that's cool. But a lot of people didn't like her nicknaminess and precocious attitude and that she was kind of, you know, telling Anakin what to do. But when you look at it now and you see that she's a young person, inexperienced, probably afraid of being thrown into a war zone, and by the end of it she was a more mature young adult that made her own decisions and had her own way of doing things and respected and cared for Anakin and Obi-Wan, you go, oh, wow, that's actually like a kid. So... You know, you have to trust your process and uh, your creative team to get you through, and we've been pretty lucky so far. I'd like to point out that when you started doing Rebels, he's not actually lying to you, which he does often. But what he just Shades of truth, Sam. Shades of truth. From a certain point of view. There you go. Uh, when you started doing Rebels, I remember we were hanging out at LDAC. I was, like, visiting, and you were telling me about your 
your view, the overall view of the of where you thought the series was going to go. And this is before anything had aired. I think this, you were about to go and show me some episodes. And what he described is what is evolving, you know, now. I mean, it's, and, and how season one and the tone of that and how it related to, you know, later on and where things would go. And it's the kind of thing, you know, everyone would think, oh, Thrawn's fan service. Thrawn couldn't happen in season one. Thrawn couldn't happen in season two. This is the time that this character can show up and tonally for how the story needs to go. Um, so there's a lot, just being a guy who occasionally visits, I see a lot of forethought go into these things and it's very deliberate. It's not like, uh, you know, what are the kids gonna like next week? It's, they don't have, it, like you said, the production does not allow for that kind of reactivity. You have to think way, way ahead. And I mean, we were talking about Darth Maul years ago coming into Rebels, so. Yeah, I'll tell you why there's an A-wing with two seats. It's rather simple. This is the not fun answer. Um, I'm sure Henry Gilroy and Steve Melching, they're great at that Starship Smackdown stuff and coming up with really nerdy reasons why. Um, I had a plot that needed to get two people to a planet. <laughs> and I had very few Starships that could do that. And the A-wing had one seat, and I was like, all right, well, what I want you to do is gut behind the front seat, move that back, and put a second seat, because I don't want to, you know, I didn't have the budget to create a whole new ship. And it would be weird if they had a whole new ship just to fly them to that planet. Um, but we call that the A-wing trainer. Um, that's so, from West End Games, bro. Yeah, I was about there, to back you up. You didn't need to go goes. here. There you go. West End Games, all, all of the starships had trainer variants that had a second seat for a yeah. trainer and a pilot. So what you're talking, you don't have to do this. I don't know that, though. See, the, I'm being truthful <laughs> as opposed to what you said earlier when I lie. But it, I'm the, the dark side. The truth is that it's a, it was a production necessity. Now, I am mostly relieved to, to learn that there right is now. There's an in-universe wow. explanation. Yeah. Awesome. You learn something new every day. I still would have done it the way I did it. It really wouldn't have changed anything I did. Yeah. Constantly. That's why he visits so often. But yeah. I think that with vehicles, again, we, we're seeing kind of a progression more to what you saw in A New Hope. So you get Y-Wings now. The Y-Wings in the two pilot episodes of the season three, the premiere episodes, are actually uh, intermediate Y-Wings in that they have some of the flanging that they had in the Clone Wars. Uh, and uh, all of them were designed to be removable. So we took the design from Clone Wars and we actually busted it up. And so you're seeing that from Clone Wars to Rebels to A New Hope, how the Rebels kind of re-engineer it to be the really lightweight bomber that it becomes uh, in the original trilogy. So there is stuff like that. You know, the designs already exist the closer I get to this. I could make an ATDP in season one. I would probably now use just an ATST forward. So I like to bring those things in line. You have more room when you're farther away from one of the movies, less room as you get closer. <laughs> I always expect a long answer from Sam. That's right. That's right. You mean our relationship in terms of um, reading it, checking yes. it out? Yes, 
Uh, I go back to the West End Games stuff, which is where all that stuff really originated. Um, those were the, the West End Games source books were the stuff that they gave Timothy Zahn to research when he was writing Air of the Empire and stuff like that. So I, that's, that's where the rabbit hole began for me was West End Games. I mean, we all grew up with Star Wars, but I think I, yeah, that, that's when I really became, that's when it became this universe that you could explore and think about. And I learned about lightsaber crystals and a guy named Senator Palpatine and all this stuff. And you're just like, what does this all mean? And are we ever going to see this? So going forward, seeing all these things, and, and also the fact that the guys on the team, the guys and the girls are uh, putting a lot of care into bringing some of the, the better legends ideas to life. Thrawn is an example, but also you see some spaceship designs that we haven't seen, you know, you see the YT-2400 and you see a few things out there that are just great ideas that, um, you know, we haven't seen in, in a little bit. Thea? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Well, I, I mean, some, as some of you might already know, I mean, my, I, my experience probably started, I mean, my series of Star Wars started when I was a little kid, but my my immersion into Star Wars started when I got this job and I got to be around Dave and um, more so Sam now, but not so much at the beginning, obviously. And so, you know, being around Vanessa and Freddie and this guy and sort of their enthusiasm and just breadth of their knowledge um, was inspiring. And that's when I started sort of trying to do my research and getting... Uh, to be as as much of a fan as I am now, so I have to be honest and say, basically, when I got this job. <laughs> I mean, you've done the homework, which is all I require. I gave you a list of Clone Wars episodes to watch on Mandalore. You did stuff like that, and there's always things you can research. I mean, Sam's right. The you know, walking into like a Walden bookstore and finding a, a role-playing manual that had all this information was fascinating as a kid. Um, you know, you just you're. Pablo Hidalgo, Lee and she and I talk about it all the time. We're like, wait a minute, why do we all know that? Why, why, right. why do we all know the word Mandalorian? That's not in the movies. Where did that come from? So we spent like a couple days figuring that out. <laughs> we narrowed it down to one of the Star Wars sketchbooks that used to come out. And in there it's written uh, Mandalorian armor. But we all key to that as, as kids. And something that I don't struggle with, but I, I'm very curious about today is the immediacy of it all and the complete immersion of it all for kids versus the mm -hmm. discovery of it that we had. It, everything's expected now. Every, everybody expects everything to blow up and be big. And they look for every kernel to uncover. Instead of it being something that we actively sought and had to go and find, and I think that there is a bit of a difference there. You know, it's like I wanted to know every detail about the Star Wars universe because of the lack of information that we had for it. You know, that was something that drove me. The card back of a Kenner figure was crucial because it's the only picture of that character we might get. You know, we had the storybook, we'd buy the record, every image was sacred. Now I can, you know, image search and find a hundred images of stuff. So it's a completely different time, and there are a lot of pluses to that, but I also wonder about that. I think when you see the continuity chaos at times that the fans feel with themselves, it's because there's so much information out there, which is why Lucasfilm has had to say, hey, guys, hey, hey, this, look at this stuff here. This is going to be continuity for you. And it doesn't mean, it's never meant to me that there aren't good ideas 
in what was the EU and is now the Legends. But for me, I approach it the same way I did on Clone Wars, which is like when I see it in the movie and when I see it in the TV series, that's, that's very real to me because that's, that's the original form of the art was a film. Now I work quite a bit crossing over with the people who are writing the, the comic books or novels to try to ensure continuity. Um, but it is a big challenge on everybody's schedule and the most honest answer I can give you. I think what's great at Lucasfilm is the interest and the drive by the people to make it work is tremendous because this generation is a generation made of fans that wants to get it right and give the fans the most authentic experience we can. And that's true from, you know, when JJ's helming Force Awakens, the big fan he is, to whatever other media we're creating, be it me and television. We got Pablo everywhere looking at continuity. You know, the games, people are all super huge fans. The guys running the Lego show are enormous fans. I mean, and that's, whenever you get together, you have that in common immediately. And we just go from there. And we're trying to make Star Wars that we all enjoy so that you know, you guys will enjoy it too, you know, and that is, you've now heard in a lot of behind the scenes, that was such a focus of um, Abrams and Kazan. Is this going to be delightful? Is this going to excite you? Is this going to make you thrilled? And that's something that you think they did well and we're all trying to follow because we, you feel Star Wars. You watch it, but you don't have a convention like this if these people don't feel it. And I think that's what's so special about uh, the saga. Thank you. You look sharp, right? Looking sharp. Yeah. It's an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when are you going to make a Star Wars Rebels movie with live action actors in it? Because I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Me too. Would you? <laughs> Would I'd you watch really? it. I'd, I'd do you, more you, things you, for it. You'd love to be in yeah. it, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Taylor and I ask the same question all the time. Yeah, that's great. Just to each yeah. other. We wonder aloud. <laughs> you know, um, I'm sure the actors paid you well for that question. Um, Freddie can be clever as the leader of the group. Um, you know, if it made sense, if it's the right thing to do, I'm sure anything is possible. And I, that's what I love about Lucasfilm now is anything is possible. Uh, with our stories. I don't know when it would be, you know, but uh, I mean, if I was to imagine in a timeline, you, I could imagine a world where, you know, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, like a long time years? in the future. Yes, years? actual years. Oh. There's a kid that watched Rebels, <laughs> right? A kid that watched Rebels that becomes a filmmaker and says that was the part that was so important to me that I want to make those characters come to life. And that would be, I mean, that would be amazing to me. That would be great. If that happened, then I'd be like, wow, we did a really good job because we inspired this, this kid to do this. And then we, we would watch it and go, oh, it's completely wrong. But <laughs> no, we wouldn't, you know. You'd be a consultant. I don't know. Who knows where I'd be at that point? My goodness. But it, I think that's the way I look at it more there. I'm telling the story now. And, and for me, the fact that we're animated is just a, a type of, artistic brush that we're painting this picture with. Um, and I don't feel that the characters are any less valid. I don't feel they need stamped into live action to be real. 
and I think that people feel that way as well. They do such a great job performing the characters and giving voice to them, and the team at home does such a great job animating them and bringing them to life. So they are alive and they are real. If they cross over, that's great. It's like a, it's like a cookie, but it's, uh, you know, it's not a requirement for me because Chopper's Chopper, you know, and I see him every day up on the Star Wars show. Somehow he got that gig, so you should talk to Chopper's agent because he's rolling around. And he's so. far more difficult than the rest of us. He is. <laughs> he, is he has a lot of demands. But he's thanks for asking, though. I appreciate it. You want to talk? No, Sam. No. 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 And no. And no. Whoa. Not anytime soon. Not for me at now, this point today, would I tell you such a thing in any particular way. Um, since you asked specifically, will it be soon? It won't be now. It won't be in this room. So, sorry. So wait, the no was not answering the question. The no was like, you're, you're not willing to answer to the you. question. Don't help them, Don't help them. I'm asking as It's well. a great mystery, question. and some mysteries, you know, left unsolved are more interesting. You won't be disappointed when you have an answer, and then you're like, oh, so no. Do you see how that is? We need to train you more. You need to get in the flow of the no, and then... The way you can go. I ask these questions at recording sessions all the time, and I, for some reason, always I'm, I do the thing where I think there's going to be an, a different outcome. It never, it's never the case. It's always but thank like you for a, the an question. answer like. Yeah. yeah, Dave has only got more cagey as time yeah, has gone on. Clone Wars, very, you could get an answer out of him here it's and like there. It's like a dance, watching him like maneuver out of answering a question, and then it always, it leaves me thinking like I got the answer, and then I'll leave and go. Wait, but what did he just tell me? He Nothing. Anything. He didn't say anything. I will bend like a reed in the wind. <laughs> but never break. Yeah. I'm, tr I'm working bring, on it. <laughs> you gotta bring a kid with you. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. Were you there that time? Where was that celebration? Where that kid got the one answer that nobody yeah. knows? Yeah. 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 I wonder if she ever spilled the beans on no. that. No. no? What a kid. I like that yeah. girl. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Tried to break her. She wouldn't do it. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. Difficult decision that would be. Um, both periods are kind of, you know, because I grew up through them, the years in between films. Uh, so you had stuff like Splinter of the Mind's Eye that, that gave you a look at something, and that was something that reverberated with me because the cover to Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Rob McQuarrie. Um, was kind of an, uh, an influence on what I did last year on Malachor. With the, I remember very clearly the the, hawk, the the kind of red light that was shining below Vader. Like the that was something that I, I used to look at that book sitting on my parents' nightstand and be like, Oh, Darth Vader, that's so cool. 
but I, I wasn't really old enough to read it, and it seemed kind of scary, so I wasn't going to pick it up. But I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there'd be great stories to tell in, in either. <clears throat> there was Shadows of the Empire, right? They came after Empire, so uh, I, that was a great game. Loved that game. It had an epic ending, flying into the sea. I mean, that was outstanding. So um, I don't know. I hadn't really thought of it ever since we did this period before. And when you get between movies, it's really... Really difficult, I find. I'd rather get out where you have a lot more room to do things. And that's what I think is, you know, when you thought about 789, it's so exciting, is how there's the, there's the universe. You know, you can go forward. We always knew we were headed towards something in Clone Wars, which made Clone Wars really difficult. You know, we're headed towards this actually really depressing event, which is really heavy when you're doing a, a series. Because you're like, how do I get these people to a resolution that you can have some type of joy with, even though, hey, the Empire took over. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, if I had a good enough story, but I'd probably want to do it about a character that had largely nothing to do with the Luke Skywalker plot going on. You know, that's where you could find your niche. A lot of people just think you know, if there's a line of the films, they're going to go this way, right, vertically and continue. And I would take a point before Empire and go off that way. I said, well, what, what was happening over there? And then maybe go up mm. in time, you know. To think of, ex, you know, literally expanding that timeline out. And there's all kinds of things happening in the galaxy concurrently. And it's interesting to me, like, when we were planning the end of Clomers, that we could say, Ahsoka's doing this, but then Coruscant got attacked and the Chancellor got kidnapped. So suddenly you know. And as we went through those episodes and she was on her mission, she got a transmission uh, from Anakin where he reports that Obi-Wan captured General Grievous and the Clone War is over, basically. So that was another moment in that four-episode arc that told you exactly where you were compared to the film, which I found that was really interesting and exciting. Because as soon as you know that happens, if you're a savvy fan, audience member, you know the ticking clock for it is 66 is about to happen. So that, that's kind of, I learned a lot working that way in Clone Wars to make these concurrent stories uh, and hopefully interesting crossovers. So you can think of big things the galaxy would know about. Like probably a lot of the galaxy knew when Alderaan blew up. A lot of the galaxy knew about the Death Star once it was revealed. And how would that affect everybody else, not who was doing it? So. Mm. Going all the way back. Mm. It's very, very good. That's extra points, extra credit for you. Very good. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but you know, if you, if you were a Gryffindor, you're way ahead right now. So um, it's, uh, it's just you know, lore that you know. And uh, if you care to read that old stuff, Ashla was Ahsoka's original name. When we were creating the character, we were calling her Ashla. And then George changed it to Ahsoka. So then he hired Ashley. <laughs> so then I hired Ashley to get back at him. Isn't that funny? We had named her before casting, for sure, a long, long, long before. But um, I wanted Bendu to feel like a character out of an ancient time. Uh, you don't know much about him. He's like a bombadil. You know, he's in the story, and it's unclear what his role is or whose side he's on and what affects him, what doesn't. He seems to not 
play by the rules of everyone else in the story. And um, so bringing words in like Ashlyn Bogan start to allude to the fact that beyond what the Jedi and the Sith have organized around the Force, beyond the uh, beliefs that they have put on it as a way, there is an even older way of thought. The Force exists, and this is important, beyond the Jedi and the Sith. The Jedi and the Sith are a practice within the Force, a way of controlling it, a way of thinking. But they are not the be-all, end-all. And we got into that with the priestesses on uh, the Yoda arc and with the Force gods of Mortis, where there are these beings out there that are ancient, and wise and look at the battle between the Jedi and Sith and their kind of self-importance as a bit childish to them. So there are these older definitions and the older definitions to me just come out of George Lucas's mind. So the Force's origin, of course, is George Lucas's mind. So if you go back in time and you're talking about ancient things in the Force, you're talking about George's initial thoughts on it. Bendu is actually derivative of the Jedi Bendu, Jedi Bendu, which is the full name of the Jedi a long, 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 long time ago. So that's why Bendu seems to know a lot about them, about Kanan, that he's a Jedi, and he finds that kind of fun and cute. But, you know, obviously Tom Baker has his own agenda, and he's fantastic at being Bendu. Um, because I just laid out quickly what it was, and he's like, I, I understand these mythic stories, I love them. And he's, he's just Bendu, I don't know. You know, who knows? Is that the crossover point? Uh, he's the doctor, you know, and sometimes I, get to, sometimes I get to call him that. You know, my favorite thing is when I Skype with him to do the record. Sometimes I've been here and done it, but I say, Tom, how are you doing today? And he'll say, oh, I'm just radiant, David. And I'm like, oh, I've never had someone say they're radiant before. But you know what? Who else could say that, though? He is radiant. Yeah. I mean, just fantastic. Um, you've talked about how, due to the lead time, it's hard for you to bend to fan reactions. And one of the funnest things about being a Star Wars fan is debating reactions to little things. And I'm wondering, doing it so far in the past, is it like a, a lucky dip for each like episode <coughs> or how fans react? Like in the like the season finale of episode two of season two, um, like everyone just loved it. But then, like a, a thing like the Heli Sabers had a really strong pro and con reaction. Is that like a weird thing for something that you did so long ago that people pick that thing to like debate about? Do you have an idea that's going to happen in advance? You know, I get a, a micro reaction because of my crew. They're all, as I've said, fans of varying levels. And so anything we decide to do in story, um, you see these reactions. It's almost like some kind of scientific testing. <clears throat> so some of them like the Heli Sabers and some of them don't. I, I write the show, so I do it. If it's something that they really don't like, I have changed stuff. Um, the writers will give you a first reaction, but then once we have a script, I read it out loud to the team that's going to execute it. So. Once uh, Henry and I have finalized the script, I sit down with the episodic director and the story guys that are going to do all the shots, and I read it out loud and portray everything to them and explain the staging and shots I'd like and everything. But as I read it, I watch them, 
and you know you can see like your friends and they're quiet and they kind of like eye roll or they kind of sink and, and, and all the time I'm like what you think that's lame <laughs> and they get really odd I'm like no 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 if it's lame I want to know now it's lame if that doesn't work I want to know and they'll say yeah well I didn't really like it I'm like okay I feel the same way I'd like to change it you just you're trying to hit this thing as many times as you can to get it to be good before it's gone that's everything we do and on a TV show I have a lot less kicks at the can I call it so uh, you're just desperate to get it like the finale last year I got it actually in front of as many eyeballs as possible at work that I could to get reactions except for probably the last two minutes the last two minutes where there's no dialogue, that I left alone for the most part and let very few people see it. I let a couple people see it just to gauge their reaction. But for the most part, I left it alone. And then I brought Simon Kimberg and Kerry Hardin to look at it because I needed to make some final changes to it. I knew it and I just couldn't see it. And I knew they would and they did. And it really, I thought, made the thing excel to another level. Um, so you're just always aware, but because the people that are working on it are very critical of their own work. So it's my job to let them know when, okay, yes, let's change it, or you're overreacting. Just because something's new doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. We, should, we always need to push the threshold. You know, and you know, I've always said, I, I didn't know there were snow walkers until I saw Empire. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there were speeder bikes until I saw Endor. You know, I didn't know an ATTE could go up a cliff until I decided it could. You know? Well, that's a change. Well, no, the funny one was Henry Gilroy was like, I was like, you know, Henry, we should take this ground battle because it was level. I said, let's put it on the cliff. And Henry goes, can we do that? And I was like, yes, Henry. <laughs> we can do that. You know, because we're, now we're making the story. And, you know, it's, it's disappointing if people don't like it. But that the... I don't know that means I would have changed the way I did it. I mean, what, what can you do? We thought it was a good idea at the time. Quick follow-up, is there any, any, anything that, like, that people react like, so strongly to that you didn't think was going to be such a big thing that you're like, oh, I wish we had a, put more of that in? That is the more likely thing that happens, is that you go, oh, they really like that. I wish we had more of that. You know, but um, I don't, if, if we don't have more of it, it means it wasn't important to the story, you see. And so if we were just putting more of it in there because... That's, then that's, that's the fan service. Yeah, so yeah. while it seems like that'd be a great idea, it probably, it probably wasn't. Like, my crew was all about puffer pigs for a while. They loved that thing. And I was like, you know, guys, I really think you kind of... What are those? What? They're the pigs that blow up like a balloon from oh, like season one. Fish. And I was like, I don't, I really don't think that's where we want to go. I don't you think... Don't, while they're funny in that episode, I don't think we want a bunch of that. It was all puffer pigs think, all the time. And yeah. I think that was a, a wise decision. I think so, I think too. You made the right, the right call. So, you know. But there is a novel coming out about puffer pigs. <laughs> Why do you promise this story stuff? Of the pigs. At least the balloon would be fun. That would be yeah, great. That would be great. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> Where did you hear his voice? Where was that? Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, that'd be news to Liam and I. I mean, no, I didn't. He's not. Also, Leland, she was tweeting on Oh, really? 
to go talk to Leland. What has Leland done? <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I mean, I, in that the force is one and we are the force way, I suppose, abstractly, yes, but not, it's not a design of it. And it wasn't an intention. I certainly didn't record him for it. So I'm going to have to go watch it. I was going to say, I'm going to have to go watch it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, now that you're coming up, we're going to wrap this up. No. It's fine. You guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.